Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Everybody feeling good? Yeah, yeah. Filled with the Spirit this morning, I hope. We're going to have a, uh, a time of worship through study of the Word of God, but I just finished my membership class, my six-week membership class, and it was a great time, right, membership class? A smattering of applause is all I can hope for in my older age. That's good. But I always say to the membership class, hey, if you have any deep theological questions, I'd love to answer them. And we had some really good discussions, but I said that today at the conclusion of the class, and nobody really said much of anything, but somebody caught me in the lobby and asked me this deep theological question. I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. So here it is. I'm going to ask you this deep theological question. You're at a Mexican restaurant. You're with four of your best friends. You're hungry. You haven't eaten all day. And they bring the chips and salsa, but nobody's prayed. Can you eat the chips and salsa before the prayer? I was like, I don't know if I have an answer to this one. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, on the way home, you decide what the answer is because I don't know. That was perplexing. I've done that very sin. (laughs) I have had said chips and salsa without praying. All right, well, hey, we are not here to talk about these deep things. Actually, we are, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What could be deeper than the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I hope you've enjoyed the series on the Holy Spirit Um, And I don't say this sarcastically. I hope it has been fruitful in your life. I really do. I hope that you're bearing fruit by the study of the Holy Spirit because in a lot of churches today, the Holy Spirit is either put on a pedestal and there's abuse of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is put in a closet and nobody engages the Holy Spirit. I like to think that we're trying to teach a balanced approach, but we have to engage the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to live successfully as Christians in this world. Um, Before we pray, I just want to tell you a story um, about my own life. When I, when I was trying to figure out uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because there is some confusion, I think we'll all agree about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are new Christians, you might not know that this can be a somewhat controversial topic, but we're going to make it non-controversial as best we can. But when I was a minister in my early days, when I first was going to Bible college, we had to have to I was in ministry at a Baptist church, and in a Baptist church at that time, the gifts of the Spirit were not highly promoted, but there was this beautiful family at our church. I I, I can picture them in my mind today as though though they were still with me. Um, Mid-30s, a young couple, full of the Lord, Uh, the gentleman, the father, anybody who had a need, this guy that would whip out his, his... his billfold, and anybody had a need, he would give them money, and he was not wealthy. He worked with his hands. He was a laborer, but if there was a need, it wasn't about show. It was, I, I'm going to meet your need, and the Lord and his wife, uh, if anybody had the face of an angel, it was his wife, had one of those smiles that she would just look at you, and you would feel all godly inside. There was just something about this woman's face that was just, oh, man, that's a sweet face. Well, anyway, turns out she got cancer. They had three children, a teenage boy and young girls that were not yet in the teen realm. And I don't know if I've ever actually shared this whole story with my wife, but I've shared the story with her in one form or another. She got cancer. It spread throughout her whole body and even impacted her brain. Her name was Linda. And uh, near the end of her life, they knew she was coming near the conclusion of her life. And she would lay on a couch in her home by a big picture window where the sun would come in and When I would go over to visit, she would say, I like to feel the sun on my face because I feel the hand of God. The warmth makes me feel the hand of God. And I I was always so moved by that. But listen, the, the cancer impacted her brain. And one day she said to her husband, I have a word of knowledge. 
I want you to call Pastor John over and pray for me for my healing because I think he has the gift of healing. I was a young, not even a real pastor. I was an associate pastor, not even ordained yet. And I said, John, that was the husband's name. I said, you sure? Uh, I don't know all this stuff. What is this word of knowledge? Uh, gift of healing? I've never healed anybody. So John said, come on over and just, just pray with Linda. So I went over. I, I, I sat down beside her on the couch, laid my hands on her, and with all the faith I could muster, I prayed for Linda's healing. Three days later, Linda passed away. I didn't have the gift of healing, and the Lord chose not to heal. Most likely, Linda didn't have a gift of knowledge. Most likely, it was the cancer in the brain that caused her to think that somehow I had been given the gift of healing. I endeavored from that point on, church, to know more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to understand them better because it was confusing for me. Having been saved in a Pentecostal environment, it was very confusing to me about these gifts of the Spirit. What do they all mean? What are they all about? And that's what we're going to get into today because Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says this to us. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be uneducated. I don't want you to be ignorant, it says in some of your versions. So Paul clearly wants us to have an understanding of what the spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit are for. What are they all about? Which ones still exist today? Which ones don't exist today? Was there a ceasing of some of them? But I want you to know this before we pray. I want you to leave this room today knowing that there's clarity on one issue. In the church today, the gifts of the Spirit are for the edification of the body. What does that mean? The lifting up of one another. The gifts of the Spirit are for the lifting up of one another so that we can be more like our head, Jesus Christ. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are about. And that's what I want to hear you saying in your head when you leave here today, the gifts of the Spirit are to edify the body of Christ. They're for service. And we will, hopefully, God willing, be a bit more educated after we go through the Scriptures this morning. So pray with me. Father, every believer in this room has the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask you to fill us to the brim with the Spirit's power. Through obedience, Lord, we can be controlled more each day by your precious Holy Spirit. You tell us in Scripture that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to some small degree think like Christ. So I ask you this morning, help us to put on the minds of Christ as we study your word this morning. Guide us, help us dissect it, help us to know what's true. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, the gifts of the Spirit. I want to make this point clear. Pastor John gave an excellent sermon on the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. I said fruits. The fruit of the Spirit, singular, they're two different things. The gifts of the Spirit are different from the fruit of the Spirit. What's the difference? We all have all the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit is something that we all have, the love, the peace, the joy, the patience. We all have it at various degrees, but all of us are commanded to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, aren't we? We are all to grow in the sanctification process, the process of becoming more and more holy. When you were saved, when you were born again, you were decreed to be saints, holy ones. Now we are to walk in that holiness, and these characteristics that the Holy Spirit has imbued upon us are characteristics that we're supposed to develop all throughout our Christian life, and we have all of them. One of you may have more joy than I have, but I have joy. One of you may have more patience than I have, but I have patience, and I need to grow that fruit of the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? If you're involved in the Vine Project, or if you heard of the Vine Project we have here, it's a discipleship training program that we have here. And the picture that represents the Vine Project is a bunch of grapes on a vine. A grapes, picture a bunch of grapes, all the grapes on the bunch. All right, a bunch of grapes. Grammar lesson. Is a bunch plural or singular? Is a bunch plural or singular? A bunch is singular, right? But when you say the word bunch, it comes with the concept of many things, right? A bunch of grapes. So the Holy Spirit gifts are like that bunch of grapes, right? Like that bunch of grapes. But here's the thing. When we have the fruit, we have that whole bunch. There's one grape that's love, there's one grape that's joy, there's one grape that's peace, there's one grape that is kindness. We have all of those grapes. But in the gift of the Spirit, we may only have one grape or two grapes. Does that make sense? Is that a a healthy picture in your mind? We have all of the fruit of the Spirit that we're working on, but we may only have one or two of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we go through the scripture here, I want to point out certain things that might enlighten us about the gifts of the Spirit. There are varieties of gifts. There are many, many gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through some of the lists that we'll find in the New Testament. But I don't want you to think that just because Paul or another biblical author is listing some of the gifts that they are exclusively the only gifts that are offered to the church. I happen to believe, along with many theologians who I studied, that there are many, many, many varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So if a gift is not in the list that Paul gives, that doesn't mean that you don't have that particular gift. The, the lists are not exhaustive. But they come from the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. This is really important. This last line is really important. The Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts. You all might not have the same one. Some of you might have the same one. There's a variety. You all don't have them as a bunch. You don't have all of them. But listen to this. But each one 
is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's a powerful verse. Each person here who has a gift, and every one of you has a gift at least, you have within you, through that gift, the manifestation of the Spirit of the living God. That gift is a manifestation, it's an outworking, it's a demonstration of God working himself out through you. And that is very, very important, church. It is given to each one as a manifestation as what has happened to you at the point of salvation. So when you became a believer, you received the Holy Spirit. When you became a believer, you received the Holy Spirit and he said, I'm going to give you this gift as a manifestation, as an outworking of me living inside you. That's powerful, church, that God has given you a gift to manifest himself through you in some special way. That should give you some level of excitement about the teaching on spiritual gifts. You have one, and it's a manifestation of God himself. But church, what is it for? What is gifting through the Holy Spirit for? The common good. I told you at the beginning of this message that the simplicity of it is that the spiritual gifts, Paul tells us, are for the edification of the church, the building up of the church. The fruit of the Spirit was more of character building, that yes, the character that God develops in me will pour itself out into those around me, but the gifts of the Spirit are specifically given to us as a manifestation of God for the common good of the brothers and sisters in this room for the common good, for the uplifting and building up of the church. That's the reason we have our gift. It's very important to understand as we go through this. What are the gifts? For to one is given the word of wisdom. Now, I don't want to extensively go through these gifts because that's not our point today, but just to touch on them. Word of wisdom is knowing how to answer complicated things with the knowledge of God. With the, with the wisdom of God, with the intelligence that God has provided you through, through this revelation or through the Bible. It's being able to give wise advice based on God's character. So one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit to another the word of knowledge. You know things that other people don't know. Linda thought that she had a word of knowledge that I had the gift of healing. God supposedly, in this case she was incorrect, thought that she had knowledge particularly given to her that described something that was going on in her life. It was a revelation to her, a knowledge given to her. That's what the gift of knowledge is said to be. And there are, there are many ways you can describe these. My, my giving these definitions is not, it's not like there aren't variations. But here's the thing. Whether you have the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, they're all according to the same spirit. The gifts are coming from the same spirit. To another, faith from the same spirit. Well, don't we all have a degree of faith because we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. This is talking about something that happens after you become a believer. Someone may have the gift of faith. And I, I don't know if you've ever run into this type of person, but Linda, the person I just talked about, before she had her cancer and after she had her cancer, when I said she had the face of an angel, she had the faith of an angel. She had the faith of someone who seemed to stand in the presence of God and just be able to say, yes, I believe everything you tell me in your word. Have you ever run into people like that who just have that attitude that, yes, God said it, I believe it, I'm going to live it. 
and you're sitting there wondering, oh, I wish I had that much faith. Some people have the gift of faith that's just inexplicable. It's a gift. But it's the same spirit who gave the person the gift of faith that gave another person the gift of wisdom. And to another, the gift of healing by one spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. Now, there were two forms of prophecy. There was foretelling the future, and there was foretelling the word of God. What I'm doing up here this morning, I'm foretelling the word of God, but this is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. What they're talking about was that people in the early church would get prophetic utterances that were based on agreed-upon doctrine from God, and they would stand up in the congregation, and they would say, God says thus and so, and they would give that word to the people. But all the prophets would have to be tested to make sure that what they were saying is true. And we'll get to why we don't do those things today. So if you're at all interested, stay tuned, try to stay awake. We'll get into why I'm not standing up here prophesying this morning. All right. And to another, the distinguishing spirits. Now that means two things. That person has a good spirit. That person's going to try to take the congregation over. That person has bad doctrine. When the Bible talks about the, the gift of distinguishing spirits, it generally talks about distinguishing between godly teaching and ungodly teaching. It's not so much that he's a bad person or she's a good person. It's distinguishing between teachings. Are they from God or are they not from God? Some people have that gift to be able to say right off, that's not from God. To another, various kind of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, this is wonderful, the interpretation and speaking of tongues. Our church believes... Um, that the gift of tongues was the gift of a human language. Uh, if you did not ever learn a language and suddenly when you were saved you could speak a foreign language, that was the gift of tongues. Um, now, I, I, I used the example this morning. I have never spoken French. I've never been to France, but I do enjoy a French fry every now and then. But if I were to get up here and start speaking in French, you can be assured that it's a gift from God because I never studied French. But you know what else would be present in this congregation if I started speaking French? Someone to interpret. Someone to interpret. And they might not know French either, but God has given them the gift to interpret the French. It's a beautiful thing, and it was a miraculous thing because in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and he gave the disciples the power to speak in other languages, people who were coming from all around Asia Minor and even to the Far East were hearing these people speak the gospel in their language, and they're saying, what is this? How do these unlearned men know all these foreign languages? Well, it was a gift of God. It was a gift of God. And it was something real that was necessary for them to spread the gospel a lot of times in today's age, we get off track. As I told you, I was uh, initiated into Christianity through the Pentecostal realm of denominational Christianity. And when I became saved, they tried to tell me that I didn't have the Holy Spirit until I started to speak in tongues. I said, all right, I'm on board. I'm not French, but I'll try to speak in tongues. How do I do it? So I called the hotline. This is not a joke. The ministry had a hotline to help you speak in tongues. Uh, so I called. I said, hey, I'm having trouble. Um, I don't know how to do this. They literally said this to me. Just start repeating syllables over and over. Seriously. And, and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that in a quiet place 
And at some point, God will take over and it will be the Holy Spirit praying for you. I got to tell you, folks, I legitimately, sincerely tried to do that and I just didn't feel it. You know why I didn't feel it? Because that was not a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. For me, babbling alone in my room, that was not a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. This is considered a sign gift, and we'll get to what that means in just a minute. But that's what the gift of tongues was, speaking in a human language that you did not know and having somebody who did not know that language interpret it. It was just an incredible thing. What other gifts do we have? Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in the serving. He who teaches in his teaching. What's he saying here? If you have a gift, use it. That's basically what Paul is saying here. If prophecy, according to the proportion of your faith, use it. If service, use it in serving. If teaching, Teach. If you have the gift of exhorting, exhort. If you have the gift of criticism, criticize. That is so prevalent in our church today. I just don't know why, but there's a reason for it, I'm sure. But he who exhorts in exhortation, Paul is clearly saying, he who gives, gives liberally. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying, it's a shame if you don't. Use the gift that is the manifestation of God that has been given you when you were born again. It is a shame. If you have the gift of teaching and you don't teach, shame. There's shame to that. It's saying to God, I don't care about your gift. I don't care about what you've given me. How do we find out what the gifts are? You know, this is a question that perplexes us, right? But if you go online, there's... A lot of mechanisms, you can just type in the word spiritual gift inventory. Have you ever done that? Or have you ever come to a church where they had a spiritual gift inventory class? Um, Go online. Uh, You can do it. There are a lot of reputable organizations who have spiritual gift inventory. You answer 30, 40 questions, and it sort of tells you what your gift might be. I have nothing against that. It's fine. Uh, I I tend to, when I do it, it tends to give me gifts that I like to do uh, because they're answering me questions about my personality, so I answer them, and it sort of lines up my gift with what I like to do. But that's a great tool. I think there's a better way of finding out what your gift is, and I think it's what the early church did. You know how the early church members found out what their gifts were? Do you know, church? They served. There was a need and they served. They stepped up and they said the church body has a need. So they would step up and they would fill that need. I'm sure some of them found out that, hey, I'm not gifted in that area. Some of them, others found out that, hey, maybe I am gifted in this area. And then there was other needs. And those people who didn't feel they were gifted in this area, maybe they went over to this need because there's always many needs in the church. And maybe by being willing to step out in faith and to say, I'm going to try something that might intimidate me, that might be fearful, that I have to exercise a little bit of faith to practice, maybe that is when my gift will be demonstrated or shown to me. The best way to find your spiritual gift is by stepping out in faith and trying different forms of service. Gifts are service-related. The fruit is to build me up to be more like Christ so that Christ can pour from me. Absolutely. The gifts are absolutely given to you at the time of manifestation for service for you to serve someone else. That's what the gifts are for. So I failed to mention this. We've been seeing the gift of healing up here. 
And um, probably you're going to ask, is the gift of healing still in existence today? And I, I want to get to that in, in just a minute. Just a minute. But before we do, just a few more words. I just, I just want to wrap up what are the gifts here. Now you are Christ's body. You, me, we are Christ's body. And individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations. Administrations. Wow, that seems like a lowly gift. No, not till you get in a church, right? John, what would you do without the gift of somebody had the gift of administrations? My goodness, it's so helpful. Various kinds of tongues. But listen to this. Listen to this. All are not apostles, are they? No, of course not. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracles, are they? Well, no, of course not. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? No, 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 they don't. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No, of course not. The Holy Spirit gives each one of us a unique gift. The Holy Spirit himself determines which gift you will have. It is the Holy Spirit who decides you get this gift and you get that gift. It is our job to use them. But John, and we're going to get into this a little bit deeper, but what about those sign gifts? Our healings for today, our miracles for today. Can we raise the dead? Should we be speaking in tongues? Our church is what you call a cessationist church. We believe that many of these types of gifts have ceased to some degree when they fulfilled their purpose. And I want to just spend a minute or two telling you why from Scripture. Let's read Mark chapter 16. It's the end of the book of Mark. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Listen to this, church. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. The sick will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word with what, church? With signs that followed. So here you are, first century, primarily Jewish community, right? It's been hammered into your head that we will never add anything to the, what we call the Old Testament, the law, the Torah. Not one jot nor tittle will be added to that, just as we say in the book of Revelation. Not, nothing will be added to the New Testament, but that's where they were at. Nothing will be added to this book. The word of God is what we have. It is complete. So the Jews were waiting for their Messiah, right? But instead of the Messiah they were looking for, the victorious Messiah who would throw off the fetters of Rome and bring in peace to Jerusalem and restore Jerusalem to its rightful place as the kingdom on earth. You know, the
place where the king sits on earth, they got a Messiah who was crucified and buried. Ah, but he was resurrected. Oh, and he's trying to convince this Jewish people that it's time now to accept this new revelation from God. Do you, you, have to, you have to get the idea of how phenomenal that was for the Jews to try to think that there was going to be, first of all, a suffering servant. That wasn't in their plan. They were looking for a victorious servant. But now there was going to be new revelation from God, what we call the New Testament. So what do the Jews require, church? Jesus tells us the Jews require a sign. So would you and I. If I walked in here and said that I'm going to give you a new word of God, I'm going to write the book of Big John, and I'm going to hand it to you, and you must accept this as revelation from God, what would you say to me? Don't, you Christians, you would tell me, here's some food and water, get off our property, young fellow. That's what you would say, just like that. Um, you, would, you would not accept that I was giving you new revelation. So what were these signs and wonders and gifts utilized for? It was to give credence that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and that new revelation was coming. Here are some miracles. Here are some signs. Here are some wonders to say that this revelation is from God because no one can duplicate these gifts, these miracles, these revelations. And you shouldn't just take anybody off the street. How does anybody follow Scientology? I just don't get it. How do we have Mormons in this world? I just don't get it. Why do they reach out and accept these teachings without any kind of evidence or proof? But God gave validity to the word that came through his Christ. Further proof, the sign gifts, Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through the angels provided unalterable, proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received its just penalty, word from the angels, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. The angels assisted in the writing of the Ten Commandments. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect a great, so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, after the Messiah came and spoke new revelation, that new revelation, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with the new revelation through Jesus Christ and those who heard, God testified with them both by signs, wonders, and by various miracles, church, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. That's what the miraculous sign gifts were for in the first century. They were to corroborate that there was a Christ, there was a Messiah, and there was new revelation. So they had to be, it had to be proved in an outstanding way, and certainly it was. So why do we have gifts today? I want to make a point here. I couldn't heal my friend Linda. I didn't have the gift of healing but it was certainly right the many times that the elders of that church gathered around Linda and prayed for her healing, wasn't it, church? Because we heartily, fully believe that God heals today. God heals today. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to get a chance to preach on the miracles of the Holy Spirit, and I'm so excited because I want to demonstrate to you how miraculously the Holy Spirit still works in this world. 
But if we pray for healing, God can heal. Absolutely. The difference is we don't think that anybody in this room has the gift of healing. By that I mean we don't think that anybody in particular has the gift of healing bestowed upon them by the Holy Spirit. To be fair, sometimes we confuse what the gift of healing was in the first century. It wasn't that someone, and we hear this all the time, could go into a hospital and just lay their hands on everybody and everybody would be miraculously healed, right? Sometimes, sometimes that's what we say when we challenge people. Well, if you have the gift of healing, just come to the hospital with me and let's go to the children's ward and you lay your hands on those people and, and they must stay. No, that's not what the gift of healing was. The gift of healings, it was plural. It was the gift of healings. Some think that's because it was something that you didn't always have. God would tell you, you can go ahead and heal so-and-so. And that person, Bob, would go. He had the gift of healing. And he would lay his hands on Mary, and Mary would walk. But it didn't mean that if, if Bob went over to Tom without a word from the Lord and tried to heal Tom, that didn't mean that Tom would necessarily see so it doesn't mean that someone who had the gift of healing could heal everybody. Interesting, when Jesus went to Nazareth to do his preaching, the Bible tells us the very town where he was born, he could not do many miracles. Why does it tell us that? What does it say the problem was? Lack of faith. The people in his own town lacked faith. And the Bible says he could not do many miracles there. The healer of healers could not heal some because of their lack of faith. Now, he could have overridden their faith. He could have healed, but it was a give and take. The healer chose not to heal because of their lack of faith. So why do I say all this? Is the gift of healing for today? We think no, because the gifts were used as a sign for the early church to confirm the Messiah is coming and that the new revelation was coming. So why do we have these other gifts? As I said before, you all have a gift. You all have a gift. Does that mean you don't have two or three gifts? You might have two or three gifts from the Holy Spirit. You might. Do I only always have the only gift I was given when I was born again? I was born again at 16. I was given a gift from the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that's the only gift I will ever get? No. No. God could have me in a different circumstances where I need another gift bestowed upon me. Go ahead. Do your work, Lord. Bestow me another gift. I will never have all the gifts, but I might have more than one gift. But what are the gifts for? What is the gift for? Let's look at this. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. I call you the church because you are the church. You're the living, breathing church. It says up on one of our slides, and I want to take it down. It says, welcome to church. I would like to take out the word to. And I would just like it to say, welcome church, because that's who you are. You're the church. You are the body of Christ. We have many members, but we're members of one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? So if all of you had the gift of being an eye, then we would be deaf. We would all be deaf. The body would be deaf. 
If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? We'd miss the beauty of the sense of smell, of flowers, of children, of all the beautiful things that fill our nostrils. We would miss the beauty of that if we all wanted the same gift. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? So listen to this church. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Why are you here in this body? Because you have been placed here just as God desired. That should be something that does your heart good. That God, the master of the universe, has said, I want you here. I'm going to give you this manifestation of me. And I want you to be part of this body. And I want you to use that gift. And I want you to be an ear. I want you to be an eye. I want you to be a leg. I want you to be the big toe. Because everybody needs a big toe, Dave. We all need a big toe. I want you to have all these gifts. And it's my doing. Because it's my plan. Why? Why? On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. I want you to take something away from this before I tell you what I want you to take away. I know. The French are clever, aren't they? On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it being made more presentable. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there be no, may no be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. What did he just say? He just said, if you came into the body of Christ and you were feeling like you were the lowliest of the low, that you were not capable of serving the body of Christ, that you thought people looked at you as being not even worthy of coming through those doors. Jesus Christ, through his holy word, says, I looked for you. I looked for you, and I gave you some of the greatest gifts. I gave you some of the greatest gifts, so you don't feel that way. And so everybody can look around and say, it's the weak that will be made strong in my kingdom. It's the suffering who will be made strong in my kingdom. It's those who don't think that they're anything will be made something in my kingdom. And I am going to gift you. And if you use that gift, you will bless not only those around you, but the giver of the gift. And you will bless yourself when you realize how mightily God wants to use the weak, the downtrodden those who feel worthless. That is our God, church. That is our God. And for you to sit and say, I will not use my gift, I will not try anything new, you spit in the face of the one who loves you and wants to pull you out of the muck and mire. 
you spit in his face and say, I don't believe that you can make anything out of me. And he declares to you that I can make something wonderful because I am the potter, you are the clay, and this gift is me forming something wonderful. Yeah, you're broken. Yeah, there's a hole in the bottom, but that's okay. My gift repairs that hole and makes you something. We are a treasure, but we are not a treasure that's to be put on a shelf. We are a treasure that's to be seen, felt, and touched. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I love the Holy Spirit, John. (laughs) What other power do we have other than the power of God, church? The power of worry? The power of self-dependence? The power of these two hands? No. These two hands will one day probably be arthritic. I'll tell you a story real quick. Not about my arthritic hands. I injured my foot. I, uh, I was in an accident long ago, and a piece of my metatarsal bone in my toe broke off. And it started to push against a nerve in my foot. And I told you about this a month or so ago. It was like walking on a Lego. I could barely walk. And this went on for a long time. You know, as a man, I always said, I don't need to go to doctor. Pain go away. Man. Well, first month, pain not go away. Ouch. <laughs> Second month, I started to speak in tongues. Oh, I don't, oh, I can't dig it. All right, third month, still don't go to the doctor. Six months, I finally go to the doctor. Doctor says, that looks painful. I say, yeah, oh, that's painful. You good doctor. I don't know why I'm talking like an ape, but that's, that's just how, I'm, one of my gifts, I guess. So he gives me a shot, pain, cortisone, whatever, takes it away. I, I, can, I can walk so easily. But I had injured my knee years ago where I had some torn ligaments that, that healed. But you know what happened after six months of limping on that Lego? Once that felt good and I started walking again, you know what else acted up? My knee had acted up because I was not properly walking. And I had not been taking care of my body properly. So one pain led to another pain because the systems weren't working together. So here we go, church. If one member suffers... All members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. That's not the slide. How did I go back in time? I don't know. All right, some, for some reason, did I, uh, all right, anyway, anyway, I'm confused, I'm sorry. So anyway, <laughs> let me go back, sorry I messed that up. All right, members of the same care for one another, and if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of? See, this is a, there's a slide missing. I apologize. Um, is it in there? All right. All are not workers of miracles, are they? 
Wow, that was confusing. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gift. Okay, there wasn't a slide. I just lost a, a moment of my brain. All right. So here's what I was trying to say. We all don't have the same gifts, right? But the purpose of the gifts and the purpose of my story was to tell you that if you all want to be an eye, we will be blind and we will limp as a body. What is the purpose of the body coming together? The purpose of the body coming together is to honor the head. Who is the head? Jesus Christ. When the body doesn't come together, when the body doesn't work together, when, when the body's relying on its foot and not relying on its knee, when the body's leaning on somebody more than the other person because the other person isn't using their gifts, then the body becomes weak. The body begins to weak, limp. The body no longer is the body that Christ wants us to be in this world. And we are weak in our testimony to the world. We become weak when the body is not working together harmoniously. We become weak when we're not sharing in each other's empathies, pains, and sufferings. And real quick, I just want to say this. One of the reasons that we don't use our gifts is because we're not involved with each other's lives. And I, I say to you very seriously, if you are new to this church, even if you've been to this church for a long time, get to know one another. Get out there, engage in all the activities going on, all the ministries going on, fellowship with one another, learn about one another, learn whether or not you are an eye, whether or not you are a foot, whether or not you are a knee, learn what your role is. And the only way you can do that is to get out there and fellowship with another. Don't just come and have people pour into you the word of God week after week and you say, well, this is a place where I'm lonely because nobody fellowships with me. Well, fellowship with others. Get out there, do what you need to do. But here's, I want to get back to this point. Some do not interpret, some do not speak in tongues, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. So church, we believe that the miraculous gifts has ceased because they had a purpose. That purpose was to give weight to the coming of Christ, to give weight to new revelation, to give authority to accept new revelation. Signs and wonders, as we saw from Hebrews chapter 2, and gifts of the Spirit were used in the first century and the second century to say, here is a message from God, it's radically new, and I want to give it weight, I want to give it significance, I want to put my stamp on it by doing all these miraculous things. Why do we believe that those gifts of healing and prophecy telling the future have been done away with? Because we're no longer putting our stamp that the message of Jesus is new. We're no longer putting our stamp on new revelation. It was already done. We accept that Jesus Christ came with new revelation, that he himself was new revelation. So for the church today to continue using gifts and, and miracles to validate the word of God would be somewhat useless, would be somewhat not necessary. So what kind of gifts do we have today? We have those gifts of service that serve the body. So we have the gifts of helps, the gifts of of, grateful, of giving, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching. We have all those gifts that we still think are extant in the church, that exist in the church, because that is the need that the church has now. Now, I want to say this as well, that we don't teach. We teach that they have pretty much ceased. But I don't think that we want to put God in a box. By that I mean, I told you this a couple sermons ago, my wife and I both know of people, we've heard this from reliable people, missionaries who have gone to foreign lands 
and they were given the ability to communicate with those people in foreign tongues. And I've told you, who am I to put God in a box and say that that's not necessary to communicate the gospel halfway around the world to a language that no one speaks or no one knows of? That is not for me to put God in a box. But for church here, I just want us to know that primarily that is not a gift that we need today. So therefore, we assume that it pretty much has ceased working in our realm. Joel chapter 2 says that at the end times, the last days, that God will pour out his spirit on your daughters, sons, and daughters, and they will prophesy, dream dreams, and see visions. They will do miraculous things in the future. So again, if something were to happen and we were under a great degree of persecution, I am not standing up here telling you that God could not do miraculous works through his people. We're just telling you that right now, in the condition that the church is in, we feel that those sign gifts are not needed right now. So therefore, they are not utilized, and we do not promote them. But God still heals. God still causes you to be givers. God still can raise the dead if he wants to, but it's not going to be through one person. It's going to be through the prayers of the saints. But here's the point. Paul says, and he's talking to the Corinthian church, and they have all the gifts screwed up. They're using the gifts to promote themselves. They're doing things to make other Christians feel bad because they don't have certain powerful gifts. So Paul says to the people of Corinth, hey, you all don't have the same gift. Stop making each other feel bad. You all have a different gift, and it's for the coming together of the body. One of you may watch the children. One of you may teach Sunday school. One of you may serve dinners. But they're all valuable gifts. But no matter what the gifts are, earnestly desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? The greater gifts are the gifts that are used to serve one another. But I want to talk to you about the greatest gift. This is not listed as one of the gifts in the New Testament. What is this? Love. Love is not listed as a gift given by the Holy Spirit. Why not? Well, because it's in a little different category. How many of you have been given the gift of love? Everybody, everybody put their hand up. Put your hand up. Come on, even you shy ones, put your hand up. You have all been given the gift of love. When was that gift bestowed upon you? Before the foundation of the world. And when you became a believer and the Holy Spirit sealed you in Christ, he sealed that gift of love forever and ever. When you became a believer, you receive the gift of love, and that is the greatest gift of all. Paul in 1 Corinthians says this about the gifts of the Spirit and love. Listen, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he's using hyperbole here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Church, no matter what gift you have, and I hope that you discover it if you haven't yet, the idea is that if that gift is not used out of a heart of the first gift of love, it will be useless. 
Every gift that you have been given has to originate out of the love given to you by God. And every use of that gift has to be used out of the engine of love. Because if you use your gift, you can be the most talented person in the world in utilizing that gift. But if you have not love, you are going to use that gift for your own self-promotion. It's going to be used for you. These gifts were given to you when you received the Holy Spirit. These are not talents that you were born with. When you learned to play the piano, God maybe gifted you with the ability to play the piano. But when you were born again, when you were saved, he specifically gave you a gift that you did not possess. And you must use that gift out of a heart of love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So when we use our gift, church, we have to use that in love. Why? So we can grow all aspects of the church into our head, which is Christ. So as a body, we are trying to honor our head. If the body isn't functioning, if the leg's not working, we are not using love to honor our head. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Listen to this. The whole body, that's you, needs to be fitted together. Every joint supplies something. Every ligament supplies something according to the proper working of each individual part. Each individual part has to be functioning in order for the whole to function properly. We can't do it alone. But this causes the body to grow and to build itself up in love. Everything has to do with love. We're going to end here, church. Thank you for hanging in there. I appreciate it. Everything's about love. Every time I preach a sermon and I have the ability to show that everything we're learning has to do with God's love, I'm just so grateful for that opportunity. Because, church, the Bible tells us that God is... All right, wake up for me. The Bible tells us that they will know us by our love. What's the greatest commandment, church? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. The gifts of the Spirit are all about love. Utilize them to build up the body in love. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen to this, church. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The actual love of God lives in you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was poured out. It wasn't dripped into you. He didn't have a little squeegee and put water in there. He poured out his love through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's all about love. The use of the gifts is all about love. The use of the gifts are to edify the church, to build one another up. I hope I provide a little clarity 
If you have any questions about the use of the gifts and why we believe they've, some of them have ceased, please feel free to reach out to, to us. We'd be happy to answer your questions. But I want to do, before you leave this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to pray and then I'm going to give you a blessing. But I want to encourage you, church. Be people that the devil fears. Be people who want to make a difference in this world. Be people who know that they have God manifested in them and who treat that knowledge as something special, as something particular. Be people who want to go from this place and show love and conquer evil. And we can only do that by engaging with each other through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the use of our gifts. Let's pray and I'm going to bless you before we go. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you that you chose us to be your servants and you've given us the tools with which to serve you. But most of all, you've given us your love. You've given us your grace. And Father, be with us as we leave here today. We don't leave the church. We leave as the church. We are the church. In Jesus' precious name. So church, a blessing for you. As you go out into the world, as you leave these doors, I pray that God will reveal the gift that he has given you if he hasn't already. And if he has already revealed that to you, I pray that if you're not using it, you will start to use it. And I pray that if you are using it, that you will do so with joy and love because at the heart of God is love. Go in peace.